Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ron Swallow. I'm Ed Greer. And I am producer Bill. And today, we are going to look at The Greatest Takes. <laughs> so we're talking about ourselves. We're yeah. talking yeah, about yeah, ourselves, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, we're, we're doing a <laughs> retrospective of everything that's been talked about this year, all right? All right? And in The Greatest Takes, yes, sure. But also, were we right? Were we not right? Mm-hmm. Were we stupid? Just seizing on that right off the bat, uh, Ron, to his dismay, there mm-hmm. was a week where Ron wasn't able to be on there. So me and Bill took it upon ourselves to do an episode about how conservative comic books actually are. And it was one of our least listened to episodes. It was an objective failure. Now, I happen to think it's some of our best work, not because Ron wasn't there, but because of the fact that what we were talking about was something that people don't want to hear. We weren't just sucking the dick of nerd culture like so many shows do. We were mm-hmm. actually acknowledging the low-key fascism of people who are literally unregulated, cracking skulls all night like that's cool. I, which is interesting because I would think if you listened to it, then right. you might have some issue with us saying like nerd culture is an ultimately regressive force that contributed to the rise of strongmen populists like Donald Trump, which we did say. But you had to have listened to it to get to the point where you were angry about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think people just rejected it on the actual because I thought this is my I titled the episode. Mm-hmm. I will take the bullet. And mm-hmm. I th- and me and Ron had a conversation about it. We where sure he tried did. To talk me off the ledge. And I said, <laughs> look, this is going to be controversial. It's like the beginning of uh, niggas in Paris. Right. What does it mean? <laughs> it doesn't matter what it means. It gets the people going. Boss yeah, hard. And, <laughs> and I listened to the episode. It's a good episode. And I got to say, the thing that uh, is the, was the problem was the title. <laughs> that that was so funny. He's straight trying to talk me out of it. And I was just really thinking if people can look at the title and go, comics are conservative, that's insane. Comics are the bastion of social justice. Superman started as a social justice warrior fighting landlords, I think, which is one thing we commented on in the thing, how it sure. went from that sort of ethos into this uber mensch spinning the earth back shit. For whatever it's worth, I actually was with you. Like, I didn't think that was a bad title. I remember you and I talked about it a little bit, but, like, I didn't have strong feelings about it. But I know, yeah, Ron was vehemently against it, and you ended up uh, overruling him. <laughs> well, it just it just felt as though our audience would be smart enough to see that we were not about to actually. But I think that's the transitory nature of, like, podcasts. Even when you have an audience – each episode still is catch as catch can. It's like as comedians, Ron will be able to attest to this when he comes back on the thing. But like there are crowds where you step up on stage and they're kind of laughing as you get on stage because they're anticipating what you're going to say. And then you say some shit. They're like, oh, shit, this is the wave that he's on. OK, yeah. And then whatever you say is fine for that point. And in between the jokes, they're kind of recovering from their laughter and going. <laughs> and they're the, the lingering laugh that as, as the as the sound moves about the room. And then there are certain crowds where you go up and you tell a great joke. And as soon as they are done with that great joke, they go stone silent and look at you like fucking like a Labrador and you got a stick in your hand. You know what I mean? Right. And they're ready to run after that next joke, but they're not going to move or express anything, any even any goodwill until you hit them with that next hot joke. And it just seems like the podcast audience were just like. If we do an X, do think about X Men, five billion goddamn downloads. Something about Batman, five billion goddamn downloads. But our very same audience that does that will just be like conservative. 
don't want to hear about that at all. And it's just like, well, you're reading it every goddamn month, motherfucker. Right. Here's my interesting um, fear about people not grokking to that episode. I was like, are they telling us to shut up and dribble? Like the fact that we, the fact that we put the politics front and center, are people mm. just like no fuck you? But I feel like, especially for the audience we have, we do that all the time. We do so that like, all what the about, time. What about putting it in the title makes it somehow objectionable? That's the thing I don't get. I don't get it, man. I don't get it. It may have also been circumstantial that we just fell in a time period, like before the run up to the primaries was really a thing, but at a time when everybody was so sick of hearing about politics because everybody was like Mm -hmm. getting back to work post pandemic. So maybe it was just a timing thing. Who's to say? Maybe Ron, uh, you, you, when we were trying to discuss what we were going to title the episode, you had some, (laughs) you, you had some vehement reservations and I I just, I want you to be able to voice those now. Like what, what was your thinking on why you feel as though, uh, sort of tanked it. I mean, look, there. Look, we have had one review be like, uh, yeah, I'm a gun-toting Bible thumper, but I still like you guys. And I think, <laughs> I think that that just speaks to the audience that we have. The audience that we have are mostly liberal to at least like middle-of-the-road type of people. And when you put a title like c- comic books are conservative, people are going to be like, are they? And you think that that would entice them to listen, but really, what that does to most people is make them go, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna listen to that shit." <laughs> That's what I was yeah. saying. I, I don't want them to tell us to shut up and dribble. I want them to understand that's not what we do here. Yeah, literally, if it was, if you put something like comic books, liberal or conservative, hmm. Then mm. you're asking a question: Are they liberal? Are they conservative? But we were talking about the you were talking about the Overton window, which is really an interesting concept in politics. You, I, it's interesting because you guys were arguing that it's been being pushed conservative. I'm not sure it has. Okay. Because I I think it is when it comes when you you know you get the overturning of Roe versus Wade and blah blah blah. But like the majority of conservatives are cool with weed. And when I say the majority, I'm talking like 75% to 80% of conservatives are cool with weed. 80% of conservatives yeah, are cool with think, gay marriage. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think what we were saying was that the Overton window shifts. So there was a time when smoking weed was on the far left fringe of the Overton window. And then mm. we pushed it so that it became mainstream. But now that it's over there, you see all these people trying to pull it back in the other direction. And I think that that was sort of, if you haven't listened to the episode, I think it's worth a listen. But ultimately what we were trying to say was that we're at this time in culture, irrespective of comic books, but as a, a broader thesis, we're at this time in culture where you just have these really aggressive forces trying to yank the Overton window, which is essentially just a descriptor of like what is appropriate to talk about in public, you know, in polite company way back right because they don't like how left it moved. And so, you know, we were just that eventually boiled down to like, 
how much does the nerd stuff we love contribute to that phenomena? And again, you know, we came down with an answer that you might not like, but uh, it's worth a listen, I think. The problem with the storytelling of comics is that there's got to be bad guys and the bad guys are sometimes like not as bad as you think. And you got to have good fight scenes in a comic book. Or you're going to have a pretty boring comic where people just sit around and come up with a, a social way to uh, solve the problems. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah. A fucking like a salon. Like, uh, yeah. Th- I mean, this this week on this issue of salon, these yeah. people will sit down with Noam Chomsky and talk for a while. Where every country comes together to cripple another country economically in order to get them to have regime change. You know, that, that's not exactly the the most fun comic. I would just argue one of the things I've found when I was doing my Christmas shopping, I often end up in bookstores when I'm doing that. And I was actually shocked. I'm really trying to get my seven-year-old niece into reading comics right now. And so I found myself in the um, young adults graphic novel section. And there were so many, so many graphic novels, graphic novel series. I mean, they've done 10 graphic novels that are all based on the Babysitter's Club that are done by Mm. Raina Telligmeyer, who's like an award-winning cartoonist. And I am heartened in a new way that the things that we think about as being like pop culture and comics, which is essentially good guys fighting bad guys with their fists, are maybe becoming less and less of what the market share of comics really is. Um, And maybe in the new year, you know, we would do well to contribute to more discussions of those alternative things rather than just resting on the laurels of uh, everybody likes Batman and Spider-Man. But we do know that everybody likes Batman and Spider-Man. So it's a tough balance. <laughs> yeah. But but honestly, one of our best episodes, uh, one of our most listened to episodes was the greatest non-DC or Marvel heroes. That was mm. one of our most listened to episodes. So, I mean, maybe maybe the hot take is that we need to start focusing on alternatives to the big two and the big three. I do think there's a tension in pop culture in general that media, you know, this entire cottage industry of people essentially talking about what's happening in the MCU and the DCEU that we have only ever hesitantly dipped our toe into. Like we've never wanted to be one of those podcasts, but there are so many podcasts that are dedicated to that, that are really trying to force you in a way to pay attention to those things. But by the same token, I think there is a huge appetite for comics, fantasy, sci-fi, superheroes that aren't those things. And I think it's just a tough balance because as much as there is an audience for the MCU and you know the DCEU or whatever, it's a matter of trying to capture those people that are either also open to something new or don't even like those things, but maybe are not completely out on the general idea of superheroes. So it's really just a question of like, where do you find those people? Yeah, I I think also there is this, uh, you talk about attention. Um, I think there's a tension between the people who have gotten old with these superheroes and the superheroes refusing to get old with them and the stakes Mm. refusing to go above, catch the guy that stole the money, catch the guy who is an eco-terrorist even the and oh why is he eco-terrorist because he's totally right about the climate and everything well <laughs> fuck it now i have to manipulate something where he killed an old lady because he loves polar ice caps or whatever so now batman can beat the fucking shit out of him and throw him in arkham with a bunch of other people who are bad it's like 
Jesus Christ, you get you get to get some fucking gray hairs in your beard and you kind of don't want to listen to that shit anymore or read that shit anymore. So when you get something like a Grendel or some of these things we were talking about, sure. It's there is this dynamic tension between you're old enough to want to see your superheroes do more mature things, but you're smart enough because you're old to understand that Spider-Man will never, and I think we talked about it, Spider-Man will never beat up a group of slavers and sex traffickers. He's not going right. to do it because it fucks the universe up. So then you have to create these heroes that can go after sex traffickers or go after the fucking C- Spider-Man is also never going to swing in and punch a CEO in the face that is literally making the world worse. He will literally never do it unless that motherfucker got a green goblin costume on. Yeah. So right. like we're, we're hungry for these heroes that will go after the real villains of the world. And those are in so-called independent comics and non-Marvel DC uh, heroes. And if you don't want that guy to just wear a boring tack vest and mm. some boots and you want him to have like a kind of a cool cape or a weird mask or something, but you still want a more realistic story, there's only independent comics to really go to. Yeah. I mean, man, I'm I'm starving for a story where a, a CEO is uh, put in his place and goes to actual like actually gets what he deserves. Uh, yeah, if you read the Punisher Max line, <laughs> that's one of the things I loved about my boy. He was going <laughs> after those motherfuckers, man, because there wasn't a Spider-Man in sight. You may also be interested in the new movie Glass Onion on Netflix, which uh, deals mm-hmm. in such tropes. But I think and I think both of those are illustrative examples of the fact that, like, it is good if you get older and your tastes change. And I think mm-hmm. where it becomes problematic is when you get old and your tastes change and you're demanding that all the things that you liked when you were young keep up with you. And it's like, yeah, maybe it just won't, man. Like, maybe yeah. it just won't. And it works the other way. Like like, like you're saying, like you get old and you used to like Ross Andrews, mannered, correct perspective, super dope art. And then in comics, progress to this, everybody's looks like a balloon and is 18 heads tall and their legs go off the page because the artist doesn't want to draw feet and there's zero backgrounds. You're going to be like, well, comics have just gotten worse. Technically they may have, but they're appealing to the people who are reading them at that moment. So they have not necessarily passed you by, but you have matured past them. But then it, it goes all the way back around to where it starts getting more formalized and more, the artistry goes back up. But now all the characters aren't the ones that you liked anymore. So like mm-hmm. the artistry and the writing, like I defy somebody to say that Hickman writes on a third grade level, like some of the old seventies comics, he just doesn't. So right. Hickman's writing better and the artists are doing some amazing shit. But for me as an old man, I love the maturity of what they tried to do with the new X-Men stuff. I loved all that stuff, but it was so dense. It had so many characters. I did not give a fuck about mm-hmm. that. I was out. No matter how much better the comics got. So there's multiple ways out of comics is what I'm saying. Sure. And I think that one of the points we keep returning to is it would just be great if people who create comics, be that companies, but maybe even more so individual creators could understand that. Like there's nothing that bothers me more than seeing an indie comic artist essentially creating a two-fisted crime buster in a costume. Like, bro, mm-hmm. that's the market for that is covered. Yeah. Yeah, we don't need any more of that. Um, here's an interesting take that we had. Uh, Ed and I did is the Batman the, the Batman 
the greatest Batman movie. Mm. And we thought that it was at the end of it, but you know, Ed has changed his mind since yeah, since yeah. then, and and so I think we may have to hit on that that uh, hot take, Ed. And we didn't have uh, Bill on there, so he can chime in. But I'll just say for myself, I think that the Batman went as far in the direction I've always wanted him to go as he's liable to go on screen. Mm. And I discovered that I did not like it. Now, it also, besides, and what I mean by that is, just very quickly, I wanted it to be a rain-soaked, stinky piece of shit who had no life other than being Batman. Check and check, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be sort of, um, I acknowledge the paramilitary, shitty, armored up, you know, legend of the streets thing of Batman. I acknowledge that and I respect it. And it's okay to me as fascist as it seems. It's totally okay with me. Check. And then he's just kicking it with cops all day. And as it's weird how the, my take has formed and made a weird Ouroboros around this. Cause if you recall, when the trailer first came out, I was like, I love this Batman S seven shit, but I can't get with him. Why, why was he walking past a bunch of cops? You remember that? I was oh, yeah. so angry that he was walking past a bunch of cops in the trailer. I knew if he's walking past a bunch of cops in the trailer, there's going to be multiple scenes like that. And I was mm. right. And I was like, fuck, this is dumb. And then when they, I don't know. And then when the movie comes out, it kind of Svengali's you with how it presents the information kind of Nolan-esque in that way. It mm. starts to present the information in a certain way that kind of lulls you into, well, of course, Batman would work with the cops. He's a vigilante, but these are special circumstances. Blah, blah, blah. You start to get brainwashed into thinking it's okay. And then they wait 20 minutes to take off his mask. When he does escape them, he jumps out in a wingsuit I could buy from goddamn Extreme Sports down in Burbank. Like, what? What? He doesn't know how to speak Spanish. I've said that 15 times on this podcast. The motherfucker don't know rudimentary sophomore year Spanish. And he didn't detect shit once again and was late to everything once again. And then the Batmobile scene doesn't make any sense. And you just start picking it apart, even in my memory of it. Because as I stated several times, I haven't seen it since. I saw it one mm. time in the movie theater and I have not seen it since, not even on HBO Max. So, yeah, the evolution of my take, it was an Ouroboros. <laughs> it went around in a big circle. It's interesting because, I, you know, we touched on this in our greatest comic book movies by decade conversation. I had the same reaction you did, maybe for different reasons, upon first watching it, where it's like, man, there's some really weird stuff in here, but they're doing so much right that, like, I kind of can't help but like it, even though yeah. I, I definitely have some reservations. And for me, my estimation of the movie has actually gone up in the time since. I'm on record. I've watched it multiple times. And I kind of like the fact that it's this weird, it's not low stakes, but it's definitely like low action day in the lifey. And I kind of mm. find myself just really liking the ability to dip in and just like luxuriate in the aesthetic, the production design, the costume design, just this world that they created even despite the fact that there are some weird things happening. And I also sort of, I think more than you, Ed, was always willing to embrace some of the weirdness. You know, the idea that like, mm. oh, this is basically the Adam West relationship with the police, but done in this gritty, realistic style. And that's cool to me. Mm. Um, that said, I also don't think that it should be on the top of the list of Batman movies. So I don't know, maybe the fact that that was our take in the moment is a great example of recency bias. When you see something yeah. you've never seen before yeah. and they try some really interesting big swings, it's very tempting to be like, holy shit. But like, 
you know, I, I relate this to my feelings about Avengers Endgame versus Avengers Infinity War. Like when I saw Avengers Endgame, my mind was blown and I was emotionally wrung out. But for me, looking back, I still think Infinity War is the better movie. And so, you know, it behooves all of us to like let our opinions ferment a little bit. Oh, and speaking of which, just to not to ham fist too much of a segue, but in our um, greatest comic book movies by decade, which we've mentioned already. So this is Jermaine and Tito. I think when we did our take about Logan, I think it would be if if you had asked me what I thought about Logan right after it, I would have been like, only Wolverine movie there's ever been, bro. He was slicing and dicing. Didn't give a <laughs> fuck, man. It was tragic. It was like Shane, blah, 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 film school, film school, blowjob, blowjob. I would have probably said that. But given enough time to ferment, I have come to loathe that movie. And Bill, uh, I don't know about loathe, but doesn't like it either. And bro, we lost our fucking five-star rating because some motherfucker <laughs> took back his star because yeah. we didn't fucking like that movie. Yeah, I got to say. just like, wow. Look, I, I disagreed with you guys. I actually enjoyed Logan. I, I said I enjoyed it. They're, I'm not pretending it isn't, it is, isn't flawed. I'm not going to pretend that, but at the same time, I got to say person who took away a star. If you're listening, we appreciate you leaving a review period. And that's great. And uh, absolutely. Oh, but I don't know if us liking Logan is worth disliking. Logan is worth losing a star over. Did our podcast uh, not be as good because we had an opinion about a thing? (laughs) Yeah. Especially the one that wasn't racist or mean or shitty uh well i guess if you disagree you can think it's a shitty opinion so i guess arguably <laughs> that, that you can think that but it's just like that, that is not a great reason to take away a star we did get somebody who just left us um one star also um and uh i think they said something mean uh, but i can't remember no, no, I think left, the one the one star no review, review left no review, which oh. is typical. Yeah. Although we don't yeah. want to start inviting that because my no. ego is so fragile. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, I gotta say, the second you get a one star review, you know you made it because you pissed yeah. somebody off. When you start making someone go, oh, they're frustrating me with their opinions. You're probably doing something a little bit right, as long as it isn't a mass amount of people who are pissed off at you. Listen, it's only Zack Snyder fans and Deadpool fans who go around leaving one-star reviews anyway. So good riddance. Ah, shit! <laughs> you can tell I don't have the fragile ego, obviously. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about it. Um, basically, and this is in, in our private chat, but I'll definitely read what Bill put in here because it's beautiful. Uh, is this maybe the year that toxic fandoms lost some of their power after the end of the spy, uh, Snyderverse and the Marvel Star Wars powering forward regardless of the criticism so we did have a real classic episode about toxic fandoms i'll i'll just say this for myself and let you guys have the floor i'm not walking back any fucking thing i said in that episode i really <laughs> feel like that episode is a goddamn masterpiece honestly the greatest toxic fandoms was a fucking masterpiece i'm sorry put that shit in a time capsule because that <laughs> is the greatest uh, encapsulation of the early 2020s anybody in the future could have that's what i think <laughs> yep yeah, Put it's that on pretty great. Shuttle. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I want anything back on that either. So. One thing that is interesting, though, is I may I, maybe I'm just not paying as much attention, but it feels like a much more toothless version of some of the, you know, release the Snyder cut around number one, boycott James Gunn. 
Mm-hmm. And number two, everybody, you know, throwing a little internet party over the fact that like Marvel has come out and said, we're going to focus on quality over quantity moving into phase five. And it's like, there's a certain segment of fandom that feels like, oh, that's a win for us. Like we made our voices heard. And number one, that to me just reeks of PR. Like, I don't think Marvel is going to substantially change anything moving forward, except to maybe do less TV shows because Mm -hmm. they obviously got spread pretty thin. But Mm -hmm. like this idea that that is some sort of victory, you know, similar to the Snyder cut being finished. I, I, I feel like there's a certain desperation among some of these more vocal fandoms to be like, look how relevant we still are. And that kind of warms my heart, but like I'm curious where that might go in the next year or two. Coming from a fandom where uh, the fans actually influenced the TV show, which is, of course, Supernatural. Um, <laughs> uh, I got to say, though, what was great about it was how, how much they leaned into the positive aspects of the fandom. They mostly ignored the people who were giving you negative stuff. They made a couple of mistakes uh, early on because a lot of a lot of supernatural fans really hated when uh, any either of the boys started to have a real relationship. <laughs> they really hated that. Why? And Why they were would like, they hate that? Kill off those ladies. <laughs> but then, but then eventually, what they did is they made these really great, strong female characters. Ignored what they said, but then added in cool stuff that were positive stuff from the fan base that made. Let the, were nice winks, but didn't let the fans like run the show. And, and I think that that's an important thing to do. Like, I think it's okay to listen to fans who are positive about, about your fandom. Like if they love what you're doing and, and are like, I would love this. I would love to see more of this thing. And it works with what you're doing. There's no reason not to do that. But when someone's starting to be negative or, or just be pissed off that you're, not making everything grim or whatever it is that is just sort of a negative attitude towards it. Ignore that shit. Pretend it doesn't exist. Cause guess what? The other people that those, you lose those few people, you're just gaining other people who like positivity better and you're going to get, and you're going to do fine. And I think everybody started to learn that as well is kind of what happened. Well, I think, I think the whole positive and negative jazz though, it's just like good and evil, bro. It's like, mm. I think that, that, it can be repurposed. Like I'm fucking positive. I don't want Sam and Dean fucking no hoes because they're mine. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm I'm positive. I'm going to be very positive that the show would be a lot better if we focus on the Sam and Dean relationship because da 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 da. da. But in the end, I'm just some psycho bitch that wants to fuck these fictional ghost hunting Dukes of Hazard ass motherfuckers. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know what I'm saying? It's like, come on, bro. Come yeah. on. So, so I, I feel as though that can be repurposed, but I do get exactly what you're saying in that I think people can see where something comes from shittiness. And I want to ask you guys, they're in the fire, James Gunn, and then do this and do that. Uh, keep Cavill situation. Mm-hmm. People have this, people have a parasocial relationship with Henry Cavill and they go, well, Henry Cavill left the Witcher to be Superman because they told him he was going to get to be Superman. But then he's not going to get to be Superman because this capricious Marvel asshole who does the jokey needle drops and Drax doesn't have a shirt on bullshit is going to come into the universe and write a new poppy uh, young Superman. He doesn't want to use Cavill, the best Superman there ever was, better than Christopher Reeve by far because he lifts more weights than Christopher Reeve. I won't stand for it. And they start a fucking hashtag. 
And I think they think they're doing that out of love for Cavill. That's all I'm saying. 100%. They don't think that that's negative. Yeah. Well, and and uh, and let me say, like, I don't know if Cavill was getting given a script that worked for a positive, kind Superman who's trying to inspire people. If he wouldn't nail that, I I, I think right. he might. But at this point, you he already did what he did, and they're trying to go to a different direction. So you have to go the different direction. And I, and I, I personally think James Gunn's, you know, doing the right thing, starting over and, and creating a, you know, like something that is meaningful to him and creative and all of that sort of thing. I think that's what you're supposed to do when you're given charge of something. I think that's, he's doing the right thing. Yeah. But I think that a lot of the passion behind like justice for Henry Cavill is not really about, a rational examination of like the moves being made either for business or creative reasons. It's more like there's a fucking conspiracy against this guy. Oh like, yeah. People love their persecution complexes. And in a mm. weird way, this cycles all the way back to that episode, our comics, the greatest conservative art form. Because <laughs> We're living, we're just living through this moment in history where the most vocal people about any given issue seem to be the people that feel like there are forces working against what is right in the world. Like it's, mm. it's literally some Alex Jones shit, right? Mm. Like the Illuminati are conspiring <laughs> so we don't get nice things. Yeah. And like, I, to me, there. I just, I I cringe when I see that stuff because it's coming from that place. Like, I thought Henry Cavill was great casting for Superman. I remember when Superman Returns was made, I was so disappointed that he wasn't cast then. And I was Mm. so dissatisfied with Brandon Routh. And I was so excited coming off The Dark Knight Rises. Holy shit, Henry Cavill, Christopher Nolan gonna make a Superman origin movie for a new generation? Fuck yeah. And so it's like, I don't have any bad blood against the guy. I'm well on record that like all the bad decisions are a Zack Snyder joint. (laughs) But by the same token, I can't get myself that worked up about it because I don't look at that and go like, there's Henry Cavill has been foisted this injustice because of the fucking machinations of powerful assholes. And it's just like, to a certain extent, I guess that's true, but like, maybe put that aggressive energy toward like feeding starving people or something. Like I just, (laughs) it's such a disconnect or to anything, go to work more. I don't know. Do something like, look, uh, the other thing is like, remember also Henry Cavill is like a pretty powerful person. Like, and he's doing fine. Mm. Yeah. Oh, he's he's doing fine. He's definitely doing fine. So it's just one of those things where you're like, relax a little bit. You're going to get a different Superman. Give it a chance to be good. If you don't like it, go ahead and complain about it. Like you have every right, you know, like if you, if you will go and watch the, the, the Superman that, that uh gun and his, his buddies make and you hate it, fucking complain about it. That's great. But give oh, it a chance. I will say this. If, if James Gunn makes a Superman movie with David, David Corrin sweat as Superman, 100% guaranteed it will be better than Henry Cavill in every aspect. Um, that's my hot take right now. That's, that's so Henry flying. Cavill is not the greatest and only possibility. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, we already told you that Adam Driver would be an amazing <laughs> Superman, and we are still not fucking wrong. 
We are not wrong. That's not going to happen, but we are not wrong. That's right. Oh, dude. Well, if I, for his own good, I I will say that's all I'm going to, that's all I'm going to say on to wrap that point up. That <laughs> definitely for his own good, that he doesn't get involved with a bunch of motherfuckers that want to make, I'm telling you, all the superheroes is going to get really fat and get on my 600 pound life. The way that these, the way that the Warner Brothers company is going to Discovery and all that shit. There's a big, there's a big fat flash like my metabolism turned off because Vandal Savage put something in my tea or whatever the <laughs> fuck. They're gonna turn it into a reality show for the fat fucks in superhero costumes. I mean, the so. really ironic thing is like judging by the history of what the the CEO of Warner Brothers does. If this was two years ago. All those people that were the loudest voices of the Restore the Snyderverse movement would have their own TV show about them. Because yes. that's, that's the yes. thing that Discovery likes to put on TV. Oh my God, dude, like fucking 90 Day Fiance for Snyder fans. 100%. Like they're from, they're from different places in the United States. Like, I'm going up to meet Cheryl from Iowa. She thinks the cavil was fucked over. And <laughs> Listen, I. I have this on no authority, but I can almost guarantee you that David Zaslov looked at the past three years at Warner Brothers and was like, we had a fucking fractious social windstorm and nobody made eight seasons of a television show about it. Are you Mm -hmm. kidding me? Like that is a mistake. Dude, yeah. the, the fucking 90 day, 90 day Snyder fiance. <laughs> oh, dude. We wouldn't even have to pay these guys that just be happy. They were on TV. Dude, you know my six, my, my 600 pound Snyder fan, my fucking 90 day <laughs> Snyder fan. What are you going to say? I was just going to say to start off 2023 on a hopeful note that right there is proof that we are not in the darkest timeline. So thank goodness for that. hundred <laughs> percent. We are not living in that reality, and for that, we should all be grateful. <laughs> and yeah. you know what? I'd like for us to try to theorize right this right now. What got us the one star? Because I personally think it might have been me going hard on Elon in our um, in our was it our AI episode or was oh. it? Um, we I, there was some episode where I because like what you guys our billionaires. Yeah, are, are, are you what you guys just described about like all these evil forces that are trying to stop what is right in both senses of the word? Then Elon comes with a Tesla powered Iron Man suit, flies into the fray, and starts punching all the liberals of the SJWs with the woke mind virus. I think there were some takes in that episode where we were like, Elon may not be the worst thing for everything, he's just sort of a, a lightning rod for bad stuff. And then the motherfucker Kanye style just kept talking. A woke mind virus. Those words figuratively came out of his mouth. Fucking just amazing, ridiculous memes, ridiculous attempts at humor that are that are all from this tone deaf, shitty, I've been rich my whole life perspective that unfortunately too many poor, frankly, white and other people in this country abide by like oh if you're a total piece of shit but you're rich and you line up with my policies please please let me suck your dick like i think it was one of them that gave us the one star that's my that's my hail mary that's what i think you know what and let me say right now you're listening again probably not because he gives one star but uh fuck elon musk he's also not as smart as you think he is like that dude is lucky is what he is he got a bunch of money from his dad and then he stole a company from a guy who was smarter than him. He didn't engineer shit, to be clear. The guy is not an engineering genius. 
he hires other people or uh, steals ideas from people, and he's fucked up so many other things, and he's going to lose so much money on Twitter. It's hilarious. Hey, delegating and stealing are skills. You would know that if you weren't so poor. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Listen, it's a it's a tried and true thing for rich white guys everywhere. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Facebook was stolen too, right? I mean, let's like all these guys, all these rich billionaire guys can go suck a dick. I don't give a fuck about them, and they'll be fine. By the way. And yeah, the yeah. Wiggle Vosses were fine. After Homeboy stole their shit, they went off and made a bunch of money in crypto, yep. I think. All of them. Our yeah. billionaires will be fine. All these people that you keep like voting for to allow to just keep getting paying no taxes and just do whatever they want, they'll, they'll all be fine. You don't need to worry about them. It's so mm. funny how – I don't know why exactly. I think we'll probably need a few years to unpack it. But the pandemic really, at least for me and I think for a lot of people – turned the tide on cutting billionaires slack because I know for, for me, like Elon Musk has always, always seemed like a complicated figure where it's like, man, you know, I do love going to Mars and I do love just willing electric cars into existence. And I do think that there's a lot of good stuff behind that. And frankly, I kind of still do, but like the reality of that made it so tempting to like give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Like he's really trying to do good shit. And then it's like the more and more he steps out into the public sphere, coupled with the fact that as the entire world shut down and people literally feared for their lives, he became the richest man on earth, making tens of billions of dollars, despite the economy being shut down. Mm. You just go, what the fuck? And like, I'm now at a point you know, you see those um, questions on Reddit. Like, if you could shut down one company, which would which would you shut down? And people are always, you know, talking about like multi level marketing schemes, like Herbalife or whatever. Yeah. Motherfucker, I would shut down Amazon, and I'm yep. not even joking. Like, mm. there would be nothing healthier to the long term American economy than to fucking get rid of Amazon. And I mm-hmm. think it's criminal that the American government has not ever taken a look at antitrust laws and how they apply to Amazon. And it's, it's just reached the head now where like for the longest time, Amazon skated by on like undercutting all their competition and being, you know, extraordinarily efficient and like, Oh, nothing could be easier than this. And now for the past couple of years, cause we just came out of the Christmas season. Suddenly it's like, Oh, I can't do all my Christmas shopping on December 18th and count on it all arriving before Uh, Christmas Eve. And suddenly it's like, oh, I go to Best Buy and everything there is priced the exact same as it's priced on Amazon. And oh, now Amazon is jack is you is no longer quality controlling very key items, be it furniture or electronics Mm. or whatever else. And it's like, now we're just kind of stuck in what feels a little bit like, and this is a hot take for your ass, but what feels a little bit like people used to portray the Soviet Union in the 70s feeling like, where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I go into this featureless gray grocery store and there's only one brand of everything and like I have no choice as a consumer. And it sort of feels like now that we're living in the Amazon economy where it's matured into you know an, a business that isn't just riding a wave, it's like, huh, 
I'm kind of living in the land of uh, labor exploitation, cheap goods, and constant undercutting that just puts all local businesses and small businesses out of business. Yep. And like, mm-hmm. I don't like any of that shit. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. because when you really, it's always, it's always interesting with, um, like, I don't know, I guess we're doing political commentary right now, but that's fine. <laughs> I, I just sorry. think it's interesting. No, it's fine. I, I, because it's something I've been riled up about too. And I guess this, it does go into our pop culture zeitgeist because it does leak into that stuff. That's why we get mm-hmm. all the people enraged about black mermaids for fuck's sake. It's a fucking f- fictional character in the sea. It can be lit. Have you seen killer whales? <laughs> They're black. motherfucker. <laughs> what the fuck? You know, like it's that's that's, but it's the same attitude that gets us these passes for small businesses to get fucked over. You, if you're some weird mom and pop who fucking love walkie talkies, and you want to open up a walkie-talkie store? <laughs> Good fucking luck. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to afford the overhead of a of a building. You're not going to be able to uh, to fight against big walkie-talkie. That being literally just Amazon. <laughs> You're, you know what I mean? Like all this, this that that that, and I'm just using that as an example because that popped into my head. But but you want to open up a little clothing shop? Why the fuck would you want to open a clothing shop? It doesn't make any sense. You're not going to make any money. You're not going to beat anyone. Like, and those people employ more people in the United States than anyone. You could combine McDonald's, every single corporation that you can think of right now off the top of your head. You can combine all of them, and they don't even come close to employing the same amount of people as small businesses do. So it's a shame that we just kowtow to these motherfuckers who don't even have the most jobs. Well, and that's the thing, too, when people talk mm. about corporate culture and like treating your treating your employees like a family and like we're all in this together. Like, motherfucker, that existed when you had real small businesses. Yeah. And it was like yep. these two people and the eight locals that they grew up with that they hired. Like that shit doesn't exist when you're fucking working for McDonald's, which is a multi-billion dollar international company. And it's like we're left in a world where the former doesn't exist. And so now we're trying to pretend that you can take the values from the former and graft it onto McDonald's and Burger King and Target and whatever the fuck else. And you just can't. And it sucks that we're trying to pretend that's the case. Oh, okay. Speaking of which we had a conversation earlier. I think it was a me and Bill episode that Ron wasn't on. So I'm glad that you're here, Ron, today to talk about it. We were talking about is AI the greatest villain? Mm-hmm. And in many movies from from Terminator to um, The Matrix and so on and so forth, the the villain of the piece is machines that become sentient and instantly decide that life will be better for them if we are gone or if we are subjugated in some fashion. That's kind of the, 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 the genre. And we were kind of debunking that. Well, mostly Bill was debunking that with actual, you know, uh, talk of how computers actually work, how AI work, how we could even project how AI will work how it yeah. isn't necessarily that that's going to happen. And we were, we had a good old conversation. I, I entreat you to listen to it. But now it's so funny. It's so fucking quaint right now. That conversation is quaint as fuck because now everybody's got all these idiotic 
fucking AI pictures for their profile picture stolen from people's di- from di- people's digital and traditional art that they put up on the internet hoping to get a client to say I love your individual vision I'd love to hire you to draw like nope a giant AI computer snatches all that up stitches together like a fucking ransom note some new piece out of all your pieces and now everybody every these consuming motherfuckers mm. these consumer ass bitch ass motherfuckers who the only thing they can see, much like Amazon, the only thing they can see is expediency product into my hands. Do I care how it was made? Do I care that me buying it will change somebody's life? I don't give a fuck about that. A uh, uh, Sri Lankan motherfucker for $5 and whatever, or an AI chat bot, it really don't matter. I don't care about my fellow American or my fellow countrymen or my fellow human being on this earth. I don't care about their artistic expression. I need a, a, a portrait. I'll just make an AI do it. And now they got AI writing scripts. I've seen so many directed ads about I'm a content creator, but I'm a fucking idiot with nothing to say. Good thing there's an open source AI that I can use to write all the fucking scripts for my videos. Gleam the fuck out of here. This is hell. This is hell. I'm sorry that I'm so (laughs) riled up, but this is fucking hell. Well, And this is important that we talk about it, and I'll tell you why it's important. I don't think a lot of people understand what the danger of that is. Like, Ariel didn't know that they were stealing art. They thought that it was just making art from its own, like, algorithm. Uh, using your picture. And so so as soon as she was informed of that, she was like, I'm not fucking spending a penny. So it's important that we talk about this. Well, right. And I, I want to jump in here because we cover this in our AI episode where AI art is a perfect example of dumb AI. Mm-hmm. You know, we early on in that episode made the distinction between artificial general intelligence, which is what most people think of when they think of AI, which is like, oh, a computer thinking like a human being Versus AI, how it's actually implemented, which is basically humans training computers to do something and then not monitoring them or using them to make money in unethical ways. And so that episode ends with a classic Ed Greer rant about how police (laughs) using dumb AI could be a real problem in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's just hilarious, the timing that we posted that episode, I want to say like weeks before the scandal over AI art really hit the internet. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, AI art is doing in what seems to be a much more low stakes version, what we talked about AI police drones doing in our AI episode. And so- You're right, Ron. Nobody understands how fucking AI works. And it really sucks. And because nobody Mm. understands how AI works, people who want to use AI unethically are able to make idiotic statements like, well, an artist also looks at other people's art and that's how they learn how to make art. So what's the difference if a computer does it? And it's just it just papers over an entire (laughs) argument. (laughs) Oh, my God. When we have artificial general intelligence, I can't wait to see the art that it makes. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about creating a thinking life form that can look at the world and choose how to represent it and make comments about what it sees and experiences and synthesize all these different thoughts and observations the way a human mind can. We are literally talking about someone who wants art without having to pay for it going, here, take all this stuff, randomize it, 
and reproduce it for me. And yeah. what's even shittier about that, you know, aside from the fact that it's like you can lie about it or whatever else, when you defend it, here's what you're defending. The only thing that matters in life is ownership. It is literally the most piquant example of toxic capitalism you can experience in modern life because it's literally somebody going, I don't want to have to learn shit. I don't want to have to do shit. I just want the benefit. And in the past, that used to mean, well, I have a shit ton of money in my pocket, so let me pay people to do the thing so I can get the benefit. Yeah. Now, you don't even have to do that. You just fucking make a computer do it. And that shit is the downfall of human civilization. <laughs> but I, I just, just to wrap up what I wanted to say about it. Uh, very well said, Bill, honestly, no, no addendum, no motherfucking notes downfall of human civilization for real. This is how democracy dies. You know what I'm saying? To uproarious applause type shit. Mm-hmm. It may be the dopest thing George Lucas ever wrote in his whole fucking life. Honestly, like th- mm-hmm. this is how it, this is how it goes. To a, a, this is how democracy dies to uproarious applause. People just loved that. And I even saw things like, well, it's democratizing art. And we got into a conversation oh. on this very show about, okay, A, there's a certain type of person who doesn't want to democratize things. They're called fucking fascist assholes. But we were talking about some, like somebody saying that di- there's a difference between blogging and being a real journalist. And I think one of the main differences was, and this is going to be a make a good segue too, is the human element of experience being put in there to make a difference between somebody of no value or somebody that's just doing a pastiche of other opinions and somebody who's come about their own opinion through human life, which is what you're talking about. Like the AI hasn't, they're not smart enough yet to experience life and do a unique interpretation. And it's like, right. Yeah. That that's a key part of the fucking process. That's a key part. It isn't just the product. But but also when you're to the point about not just the product, when you're talking about democratizing, You know what the two endeavors in human society are that have the lowest barrier to entry? It's fucking art and writing. Like it's two things that everybody learns how to do by the time they're eight years old. So you don't need to democratize it. It's the Mm -hmm. most democratic thing in the world. Absolutely. What you're talking about is democratizing earnings from a product. So mm-hmm. if you want to socialize the fucking art creative economy, that's one conversation we could have. But don't talk about it being democratizing because honestly, like there is nothing more democratic than art and writing. And it yeah, just right. sucks. It, just to add a little bit of nuance, I got two comments to make about this. It sucks that this is happening because on the one hand, I am in favor of some forms of dumb AI. Like, you know what I would never, you know what I'd love to never do again? Go to a car mechanic because Mm. that's a very specialized field that is not democratized. Like, I don't have the time or energy to learn how to fix any car I might buy. That is something that, like, you need a specialist to even know what's wrong. You have no way of understanding, like, what it's worth. You have no way of understanding if it if it's something that should be happening or shouldn't be happening, et cetera, et cetera. If you had an AI that could do that, fucking I would jump on that shit. My second point is 
I would love to use AI in my own art practice because you know what the worst problem is for artists? It's scale. Like if I'm drawing a graph, if I'm drawing graphic novels, there is physically only so many that I can produce before I literally die, right? Like that's <laughs> just the case for any given artist. If I could just sketch out a bunch of breakdowns, stick it into a computer and they give me finished art that maybe I can, you know, tweak to make it, better for whatever the drawbacks are. I think there's something to be said for that. However, that is not what's happening here. So on the first point about, you know, democratizing anything else in the world, if you're talking about democratizing widgets, cars, tools, all this shit that everybody has to use to get on with their life, are you going to put art in the same category as a tool? as a widget, as a mass-produced thing that people that's, just put in the background of life. That's what number, they have done, and that's what I hate. Right. And then number two, again, this all could have been done the exact way I'm talking about. If you're developing this AI, fucking take your algorithms to fucking take your algorithms to Alex Ross. Go to Alex Ross and be like, hey man, we're going to digitize everything you've ever done and teach this algorithm. And we want to see then if you can create a fantastic image of Superman in like five minutes using our AI. There's a nice ethical test run for this technology. Instead, what they did was Let's go to the internet, scrape anything we want without acknowledging who made it or paying for the rights, and yep. let's just make everybody feel like they have a fucking human right to use it however they want. And it's mm -hmm. like, dude, the ethics – and going back to the conversation we had about journalism and blogging, like as I recall that conversation – the dividing line was ethics, that if you mm -hmm. work for an institution, you're held to an ethical standard. And if you're just a dude with a keyboard, you become fucking Matt Drudge. Yeah. So, like, that's the same thing that just happened with AI and art. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, pretty simply. You know, uh, if you're a, if you're a rogue programmer out there and you can write algorithms, here's here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a, a counter program that finds all the art that they stole <laughs> and then sue this company for the, for stealing art. That's what I want you to do. Yeah. You ever see that movie, the big hit where they're like, I got a trace buster. I got a trace buster, buster. I got a trace buster, buster, buster. <laughs> so, well, you know, Hey guys, we, we ranted about uh, some other things and uh, all that, but let's just, let's do a quick basic thing. How, how was your 2022 guys? pass yeah <laughs> yeah for, for, and i'll catch the pass and drop it out of bounds to lose the game <laughs> i i i had a really rough one bro uh, yeah not to put too fine a point on it had a really rough one and it just got like worse and worse and like now it's like pretty fucking still bad i have a real 22 uh hangover so i but i did start doing stuff in 2022 that i hope to keep up like working out um, like working out, lift the weights, uh, fucking like walking a lot. I walked 27,663 steps yesterday, like, uh, which is like, I guess 10.4 miles. So like, do like, a, I'm just like really doing it, man. Cause like you can't be broke and fat. I'm sorry, bro. Hey, you got picked. Truer words. Well, you got to pick one. <laughs> 
counteract that, uh, you can be uh, because you end up eating <laughs> shittier food. So I, no, yeah, but you, hey, you just got to walk more. Walk your yeah. ass to the McDonald's to get the exactly. burgers that you can afford. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it's interesting because it's so funny. Like a lot of people are complaining about 22 being a terrible year. Um, and even more than they're complaining about 2020 or 2019 or 2018 when there was like literally millions of people dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what's crazy. Yeah. What's so interesting is like all of the stuff that happened in those years made this year worse. And well, we've got hangover. We've got a hangover yeah, from the pandemic. It, essentially. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm saying for sure. And I just want to say like for you, those of you out there who are maybe feeling down uh, and, and, and not, not feeling your best. We're all with you. Like our, this, like I, it's such a weird, it's been such a weird year for me because I do have a job that's paying me more than I've ever been paid. I, I got engaged. I'm like having a bunch of good stuff happen, but I also kind of feel like the same thing you guys feel like it's just not been a great year. Personal life has been crazy. I've had so many friends die it's just like it's just been a rough ass year. And I want to say I think there's hope, though. I always do. This is kind of my attitude. You guys, 2023 can be a good year and the years after that can keep getting better because we've been through the shit. And once you've been through the shit, sure, sometimes you, your, your shoes are dirty <laughs> and you're annoyed with it. But you take those shoes off and you walk on your bare feet something a little nicer you get some other pair of shoes and you keep trudging forward and and doing the best you can to make your life better and happier and doing things like exercising and even if it's just a little doing things like reading a good book because i've read so many good books this year that's really made my year better than it Mm would have been because it would have been completely bad if i hadn't read some really great books to put me in in a good mood you know i've seen some good comedy i've written some new jokes oh also, I guess little plug, I recorded an album. Um, um yeah. have yeah, I recorded a comedy album, you guys, and it's coming out on the Ides of March, March fifteenth, on the mm. wings of a dragon drops. Ed's doing the art uh, for the cover, and I don't know. I I just feel like the future holds good stuff for us that we can defeat AI, we can stop Amazon. Really, I do. No, I don't believe that at all. I'm not ridiculous, That's but. A, a, I will, you're going to buy your album on fucking Amazon. You are. You are going to, in fact, buy it on Spotify, who I believe Amazon owns. No, I don't even know. They, I'm pretty they own sure everything. they do, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I look forward to Ron slaying like Brutus on March 15th. Um, and I do think that there is there is reason to feel hopeful. I think the fact that we're even having these big ethical conversations around things like free speech with Twitter, billionaires with Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, AI with AI art. Like it's not all going well, but it's great that like this is part of the zeitgeist because we need to be evaluating this shit. And I think for a long time, especially in the midst of like a global health crisis, it just didn't seem like anything we could tackle. So the fact that we're tackling it is cause for some hope. And maybe it's a sign that we're moving out of sort of the existential crisis that we've all been in and we're changing and that comes with pain, but like 
we're moving in a direction. Yeah, this last part of the episode uh, that you guys are on is sounding like uh, our greatest questions and lessons episode, <laughs> which was uh, like us examining our career in podcasting and shit and like uh, how, how we got the mental fortitude to keep going and shit. So what I'd like to do at the end here is like anything for, through the year that we're like, hey, do we still stand by that? Because Ron was asking some of those earlier. I'd like to return to that. Is there anything in uh, Quick Hitters that we said this year that we're just like, I'll stand by that or I'll not stand by that. Like mine was the Batman thing earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we had an episode where we decided that in the end, Batman or Spider-Man is the greatest superhero period. And we ended up deciding that Spider-Man more or less was, but Batman is always going to be in the running because he's Batman. I guess we could stick by that. Do you guys have any, <laughs> have any new thoughts about that? I mean, you already know Spider-Man's my favorite fucking character, period. So, I mean, as far as <laughs> comics go. So, yeah, I'll, I'll stick by that. That's, yeah, no problem. I would stick by that. I think Spider-Man's having a rougher go in the comics than, ba- like, Batman's kind of on a hot streak in comics. But uh, Spider-Man in the movies and in pop culture in general is, like, bigger than he's ever been. So, I, I think, I still think Spider-Man is the one that will lead us into the new generation. Oh, nice. And uh, also, uh, in that vein, we we did determine that basically Venom is the greatest Spider-Man villain, uh, closely followed by Dr. Octopus, if you recall. That, you know, that, that was, that that was a heated competition there. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And Green Goblin was almost nowhere to be found, which was like, boy, I think that might have been the source of the one star. Maybe these are the, let's try to find out where we got that fucking one star. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> these Listen, motherfuckers man, I, don't respect Green Goblin, motherfucker. Hey, hey, maybe, maybe they didn't, did, maybe they didn't like my, my Dick Grayson. Hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> Night Wang is nothing but five stars. I, I, stick, to, I stick to Night Wang. Hey, man. <laughs> fucking, I'm not Wang, and I will fuck you up. <laughs> oh, that's hey, the time. Where, you, where, where you from? Where are you from, Night Wang? Oh, shit. I'm from Blood Haven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> shit, I was born in Kentucky, but, you know, but I'm still from Blood Haven. That's true. You don't know where he was born. He's a traveling circus folk. That's right. Uh, Shit, I gotta be honest, man. I was born in Paris, but this this fucking how I sound. All right. <laughs> Look, I will say this about the Green Goblin, though. The minute I saw they now have the Gold Goblin in Spider-Man comics, who looks like some kind of cosmic power ranger on a goblin glider, I'm like, dude, this gimmick has gone too far. Like it mm. was. It was cool as shit back when he was killing Spider-Man's girlfriends, but like now you got a whole fucking team of goblins. Like, I don't need that shit. <laughs> Who did we decide was the greatest street level hero? Who did we end up deciding? I don't know if that was a versus episode. I think that was just a love fest. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if, uh, go there for a, for a unique repository of Punisher takes by me. <laughs> I, I think I finally, <laughs> I was, I've been ironing out my Punisher take. Look, if nothing else, that episode will teach you how to do street level superheroes because we fucking got into the granular details about it. Oh, absolutely. And in that vein, as far as uh, we, as far as street level, we also went into outer space with Bill's Tour de Force, Jack Kirby's New Gods episode. That motherfucker was a feat. Okay, so this is an interesting one. Um, you know, I still think that New Gods is probably the best Jack Kirby work. Um, what I'm really curious about is how or even if it will play into this new DCU 
in the movies that James Gunn is creating because mm. we've heard nothing about that since they canceled the Ava DuVernay New Gods movie. And with Darkseid being such a huge part of Zack Snyder's plans, I'm just curious, like, can we look forward to any New Gods fourth world stuff or are they going to just let that sit for a while? I mean, Gunn seems to like weird shit. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised that he'd tackle something like that. I mean, if you can remember Polka Dot Man existed, then you can fucking pull out some good <laughs> new gods shit, you know? That's fair. I just one thing that concerns me is like I don't necessarily want James Gunn to be the voice behind the new gods because I don't think they would benefit from sort of his snarky, slapsticky approach. Like if anything, I was I was heartened by Ava DuVernay t- tackling the new gods because I felt that she could bring the proper like gravitas and fantastical elements to it. I don't know if they're even going to give them their own franchise, if they're just going to be like supporting characters, whatever. But if they do become their own franchise movie, whatever, it'll be interesting to see who they pick because I do think, as discussed in that episode, it's such a tonal tightrope. It presents a lot of problems translating it to a movie. So we we shall see. Uh, real quick, I just want to mention the greatest belated Thanksgiving episode is a modern classic. That mm. thing has some funny stories by all of us about what we want to eat and how our experience was at Thanksgiving and shit. If you didn't check that out because you were with your family and not giving a fuck about us, well, shame on you. And please shame. listen to that. <laughs> please listen to that episode because it had some real nuggets about who we are. And I yeah. stand by my take that the greatest side dish is mashed potatoes. <laughs> Mashed potatoes is the Superman of side dishes. Often overlooked, never defeated, pound for pound. 100%. Well said, Ed. Well said. Yes. Well, well um, also, uh, do you guys stick by Tom Cruise being the greatest? Mm. Now that you know, Scientology ads are on TV, no. <laughs> one does wonder. One does wonder. As Tom Cruise's reputation is restored, and some might even say elevated, will Scientology start making a cautious creep back into the mainstream consciousness? They're sure trying. Yeah. Dude, they're on. They're like, you'd be watching the goddamn Super Bowl, and here comes Dave Miscavige, or whatever the fuck that dude's name is with his four-foot ass. That motherfucker make Tom Cruise look like Will Chamberlain. That's how short this motherfucker <laughs> is. And he, he controls some of the richest people on the planet. Ugh. And I'll yeah. tell you what, we still don't know where his wife is. Oh, shit. <laughs> True. True. Like, that's the thing that really baffles me about those commercials is like, you're looking at it and he's smiling and he's inviting you get to know us better. And I'm like, isn't your wife missing? Like, isn't that a whole thing that we, we collectively went through that like nobody has seen her in years? Like, how are you on TV smiling at us? Yeah, yeah I, th- I think she's kicking it with a uh, fucking Jimmy Hoffa <laughs> yeah. underneath Jet Stadium. <laughs> Absolutely, seriously, Somebody's doing the icky oh, shuffle on her fucking noggin. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, okay, in closing, dark, I went very dark. <laughs> oh God! Touchdown spike, and then they find a, a hole in the turf, and they start digging. And next thing you know, two mysteries solved. Okay, well, okay. What do you, what do you guys want? What do you guys want to end on? Because there was there were two kind of firebrand episodes that I don't think Bill was involved in. One of which was "Are Critics the Greatest?" And mm. I, it's one of these things where 
we talked to Lon Harris and Lon was basically just trying to impart. Yeah. I, yeah. I would kind of do want to end on this because I fell into recently. My girlfriend noted that I fell into a Siskel and Ebert end of the year recap show YouTube hole, which I guess is a, never, a sentence that no one's ever said in life. So boom, there you go. Fuck you. AI chat bot. <laughs> write that you bitch ass motherfucker. You can't be, you can't fucking algorithm me, buddy. Um, oh. So uh, you you want to know why it's called algorithm? Because Al Gore made the internet algorithm. You see, I took the red pill. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm gonna cut all what that kind out. Of wacky <laughs> no, you gotta leave that in because uh, Nightwing is like that's the dumbest shit I have ever heard. God damn! <laughs> hey, it's Al Gore's internet. Fuck you, I'm from Kentucky too. And that's that's the that's the fucking um the court of owls guy that fights Nightwing. <laughs> <laughs> He's from lower in Kentucky than Nightwing. <laughs> down, 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 down. Oh shit! It's the court of owls. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dick Grayson, you sure do got a pretty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i think that's the second time i've made that joke when we're talking to nightwing <laughs> i think it's perfectly reasonable oh are we biased i can't tell <laughs> well at least ron's not doing his uh cajun accent which has probably got us one star and that's then we, probably we, what it was oh no you know i was just gonna say <laughs> that one star that's a white trash one star right there somebody got offended <laughs> And then they were like, hold up, I can't read or write, so I'll just leave one star. <laughs> it's like, right. I'm going to make my X. I'm going to make my X on this podcast. Oh, that's great. Fucking <laughs> asshole. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay, okay, okay. Hold on. Okay, but, okay. <laughs> okay, critics, critics, critics. So the point was I got into this rabbit hole of listening to Siskel and Ebert on the internet. Somebody somebody digitized a bunch of VCR tapes and taped off the TV. And I know this because every now and again, there'll be ads, like vintage ads, like the, oh, wow. the new Sony video disc player. It's the best, like from like 1985. Amazing. Like the, the earliest laser discs is what I think they're talking about. And then like, uh, is it me or is it Memorex? And the camera will show like a beautiful model and it'll zoom out and it'll have shown her on a TV screen and it'll go to a real woman and they look the same because Memorex is so good and their tapes are so good. Anyway, so watching these period ads and looking at, you know, Roger Ebert's haircuts change over time. So Ebert's haircuts never changed until, until he like got cancer and they started painting the sides of his head black to approximate Jesus. his like his his Sherman Hemsley haircut sad times like the march of time fucked Siskel and Ebert up i'm gonna get out of the media before i before my fucking jaw falls off anyway Oof. so what so what i'm fucking saying is those were brilliant men i'm just going to get down to it those were brilliant men who were doing a lot to take hollywood to task for formulaic garbage blah, blah, blah. i watched the best list and i watched the worst list and the differences between the movies and the movie's intentions even were very clear. And there was something about their criticism that, I don't know, enabled – not it didn't necessarily give people the tools necessarily because they still were just – it's like saying it's like saying Fraser Crane gave people psychological tools. You know what I mean? It's like they, yeah. they were doing the, the, the least – the surface level of criticism on, t- on TV. But it encouraged one to maybe read some of their work in the paper where they could get more in-depth and – all that to say, even on the surface level of criticism back in the days, 
It was so superior to, oh, I thought it was dumb. Didn't like the special effects. Was the, the free cavil. The, the, the level of discourse that we have is so much lower than two pseudo-intellectuals in 1980-fucking-2. And the things that they were saying about the dumbening of movies and that it was all going franchises and sequels and IP, they were talking about this in 1983-84, about how everything was getting Jesus. super dumb and it was just going to be sequels and these dumb formulaic movies that have been put into a beat-by-beat sheet of movie principles and how they were learning the rhythms this like circadian rhythms of movies like well this is the end of the first act because the hero did this this must be page this because the hero did that they're talking about this in the 80s mm-hmm. and then you look at these movies that we have and they're just these fucking they were written by a fucking algorithm they mm-hmm. were like predicting that so maybe i'm you know doing too much galaxy brain trying to link all this jazz but they were talking about some of the dangers of of the formalization and the lack of humanity in our art so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all that if they're talking about that 1982 we're up here having people use their time on god's green earth defending billionaires using machines to steal from people and replace their human art be that writing or drawing i i know how we got here well and let me say this i think that there was a time and and I think this is actually maybe this is my sort of conservative brain where I feel like there was a time when you had to earn the right to say something. Mm. You know, those guys didn't get on TV by accident. They had to earn and show that they were good at what they were talking about and interesting and smart in order to do what they were doing. And now you don't have to do that. Anyone can just be a critic. Anyone can just say anything and get heard by literally millions of people sometimes. And that is actually not good. I don't think it's good. I think that there is a lack of like, I guess that's not conservative per se, but I'm just saying like, I don't think anybody's, there's something about like not earning expertise you know, I just think about Alex Jones as a for instance, <laughs> and, and, and and I say this in a specific way because I remember in Albuquerque, there was this one crazy dude who would stand on the corner uh, near the Uncle Cliffs, and he had a sign that said, "the the aliens are uh, are are going to come down and probe us and end the world." And he was yelling to everybody. And guess you want to know who paid attention to him? Nobody. Right. Because he didn't have a a voice to amplify. Like there was no place for him to amplify that stupidity. He had, he went to his job and after his day was done at his work, he went and did this and he expressed himself. And some people in cars were like, who's this fucking wacko? And nobody paid attention to him. No algorithm showed him to everybody in the world. Yeah. And and I look, I don't know what the answer is because obviously I do think people should be able to talk about whatever they want to talk about. I I do support free speech. Like I think free speech is important because the positive the positive parts of free speech outweigh m- mostly outweigh the negative parts of a lack of free speech. 
free speech is like free will. It could be used for good or ill. Exactly. Yeah, but here's the problem with free speech, and this is coming to light with the Elon Musk Twitter situation. Mm -hmm. Algorithmic speech is not free speech. You know what I mean? Mm, Like the entire idea of put good ideas and bad ideas into the marketplace and see which wins is predicated on the idea that it's nothing but human evaluation that's Mm -hmm. going to separate those ideas. That's not what we get on the internet. No. Every bit of speech before it hits your eyeballs or your ears is filtered through computational evaluation. And the way those things are being evaluated has nothing to do with whether or not they're good or bad, true or false. You know what I mean? Yeah, they only so, have to do with how much uh, attention are they going to get. Right. And so I think we're living in this world, and I keep using the word hangover, and maybe it's just because we're coming off the new year, but like we're living in this world where a lot of people on the internet are still living with the hangover of the original version of the internet, which was created around the time that Siskel and Ebert were dominating movie criticism. And as much as Ron's correct that those guys were brilliant and earned the amount of attention that they got, they also existed at a time when mass media drowned out most people's voices. Siskel and Ebert were the opinion about movies. They weren't the only opinion, but as far as the media was concerned, they were the opinion. So at that time, The internet being the Wild West, where people could offer counter-programming to what everybody was watching at 6 p.m., you know, on their local broadcast television, was great. But that's no longer the internet that we're living with. And still, there's too many people that want to believe that's what the internet is for. Like, the internet is somehow the check on culture. And the fact that you can come in with your hot takes and your contrarianism and your questioning is really what's good for democracy and what's good for free speech. That was true in the 80s and the 90s. That is no longer true. And so I think we need to reevaluate the role that the internet and the things you find on the internet play in our public and intellectual lives. And how it goes about galvanizing these these groups of people to make them seem very loud. Just I'll tell it back Mm -hmm. to the Snyder conversation. I'm trying to say what are the criteria for Kevin and opinion? No, but you're right. Actually, I like what you're saying there. How does the internet decide what's the criteria for having an educated opinion that or, is or a worthwhile opinion or worthwhile I mean, opinion in general yeah mean. worthwhile yeah. in general yeah i mean i mean i we all know i only have a associates in marketing like <laughs> i am not vastly educated but i got lots of opinions and i i wouldn't be doing stand up in a podcast if i didn't think that uh i had something to say i guess but at the same time like it, it is it is a fine line because how do you how do you police something like that if it is just people? Do you know what I'm saying? To a certain extent, you can't police it. Exactly. Um, because, you know, our show is a good example, right? So we're not affiliated with a network. There's no algorithm except for whatever's built into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever else that is going to shove us in front of your face. But I guarantee you that if we were three different people and instead of sitting here and picking apart the nuances of how you know, release the Snyder Cut is similar to the rise of the alt-right. If we were just sitting here and going, justice for Henry Cavill, James Gunn is fucking up everything, isn't he? Oh, this motherfucker doesn't know what he's talking about. We might have five times the listenership that we do just because Mm -hmm. that community loves to galvanize. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that sort of thing I don't think is really policeable. But what is is on some level of the algorithms that are being deployed, and maybe the solution is to no longer use those algorithms, but that's not going to happen with anything less than an act of Congress. 
on some level, somebody needs to go, hey, you know, just because like 50,000 people are galvanizing around this issue, does that mean that it should be in front of 100 million people's faces? You know mm. what I mean? Like that's yeah. the question that needs to be asked. Yeah. yeah. I uh, think look, that's perfectly said. Look, you motherfuckers didn't want to vote for Elizabeth Warren, who has in fact wanted to order Facebook and Instagram to remove their Instagrams, uh, to, to remove their algorithms. But you know, Hey, you guys wanted to, you want to vote for Biden. I get it. It's cool. <laughs> Biden, like Biden. That. I like Biden, but he doesn't even know what the fucking algorithm is. <laughs> He knows Al Gore and he's got rhythm. That's true. <laughs> I was gonna say, he thinks it's Al Gore's rhythm. <laughs> he's like, that guy can't dance worth a hoot. He doesn't even know how to square dance. I assume that's how. Listen, Jack. <laughs> Al Gore's <laughs> got no rhythm. Uh, listen up here, Jack. Me and Corn Pop are going to go down there and smack <laughs> the shit on Al and Tipper. <laughs> Get them off the diving board of the local pool in 1957. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but, uh, but so basically, but yeah, I think think that's really well said, Bill. Um, I think it is not up to us to determine how to police or blah blah. It's just up to us to scream and and hope that someday the even-handed critique of pop culture becomes a big galvanized force in the algorithm. And maybe we'll become a huge podcast then. Um, just one last uh, thing uh, to get out of way before we're out of here. Bill was not involved in our our draft and X Men team episode. Oh, and I just want the people to to know if if Bill had the chance to drive uh, to draft against five X Men and an alternate or whatever we did on the thing, what would he do? I think that it's insight into him, and I think it would give us a nice pop culture note to go out on. Get ready for some wild shit. Number one, strong guy. Fucking love strong guy. He's a great tank for your team. Got yep. personality mm-hmm. to spare. Underutilized. Love strong guy. Hell Terrible yeah. name. Terrible <laughs> I think it's a lovely name. I, I mean, think, I guess you know it what? says everything you need to know. He's strong and he's a guy. He's a meathead <laughs> guido. Of course he would call himself strong guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, also that Italian representation, which I love. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Costanzo likes strong guy. Okay. <laughs> Number two, Beast. Beast, I mm-hmm. think, is my favorite X-Man. I think I'm on record of already saying that. He's a dual threat. He's a great thinker, tactician, scientist, but also he's got the physical power when you need it. So that's two. Number three, basic bitch answer, Wolverine. Wolverine's going to sell your books. Also, he's great on a team. He can do both the berserker rage and a big melee fight, but you can also send him in and do some stealth shit, crawling through tunnels and whatnot, using his senses, sniffing out bad guys. Got to have Wolverine. Mm -hmm. This is where it might get a little bit weird. I have always thought Polaris was an underutilized X-Man. You're also seeing Mm. some of my 90s X-Factor um, yeah. genes happening here. Polaris, number one, great counterpoint to Magneto. If he's your arch villain, get somebody with the exact same fucking uh, power set and he won't be ripping Wolverine's skeleton out of his body. So Polaris <laughs> should be on the team. Number five. I'm trying to think of like what type I'm missing. And like, I feel like those four kind of give you most of what you would need in a team setting. You know who I might go with? I might go with Phantom X. Mm. First of all, Grant Morrison representation. Second of all, (laughs) 
good, funny personality without being as insufferable as Deadpool. Number three, great power set. Um, yeah. As, yeah. As an alternate. I mean, does Scarlet Witch count for X-Men? Yeah. I mean, she's technically a mutant, but she's more of an Avengers character. I'll say this. Um, I'm looking for somebody that's just a good odds evener. Like, man, if we really need to sub somebody in because we're fucking losing and somebody died and like everything's going to shit, like you would want comic Scarlet Witch where she can affect probabilities. But because we're going to put her aside and say she's more of an Avenger, I'm going to fucking go Domino. Put Domino in there. Get some of that Mm -hmm. luck power. Yeah. Dude, that is fly as fuck because I don't even remember who I ended up having all on my team but i thought long and hard if i didn't put them on there i thought long and hard about putting long shot on there because Ooh. of that exact thing the yes. luck probability and the just he was just such a fun character he was so 90s he had a fucking mullet and shit three I fingers just think, yeah the three fingers because he's from another place he had hollow bones so like uh-huh. when the x-men had to do something they could just throw him up into the wind <laughs> and the wind if the storm was making a nice wind or somebody's making a wind he could carry like a kite and just float on the wind like point break. You know, what I mean? he could he could point yeah. break. I mean, yeah. there's just so much dope shit Longshot could really do. Fuck. Those 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 were that was what our days. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's a good team, Bill. I think, that, I think that's a good team. Oh. It's well reasoned, and you can do a fastball special from either strong guy or Polaris throwing Wolverine at, at people. Have we gotten a, a, a fastball special magnetism style? Like, I don't know if I've seen that. It would it would have to have happened, wouldn't it? But like, I couldn't you be think? that brilliant to outthink Chris Claremont for thirty years <laughs> and Chuck Austin uh, after that. <laughs> oh Jesus! Look, I, I, I will say all respect to both Colossus and Kitty Pride, who are great X Men. Loved them in the Joss Whedon run. Great story going all the way back to the seventies. But like, you know. I'm going to go with my little off the beaten path team rather than bring in those stalwarts. No, oh, dude, I love it. I know I brought in Colossus. I mean, I would have had to. Colossus is my main, my main boy. Plus, he draws. I don't even think I mentioned that in the episode, but he draws. He's got the soul of an artist. I need that on my team. I can't have a bunch of paramilitary assholes or super true believers. I mean, even though they've made him a true believer three or four times in the fucking comic book, but you know, like I just, it, I, I, a conflicted. A big guy with a heart of gold. He's just got his his farm muscles. That's one thing I never liked about when they drew Colossus as like cut. Mm. I would draw some Colossi that are like how the big guys you see at the gym, they can like lift everything, but they are not cut because you can't be super strong and be cut. I'm sorry. I'll take these dudes in a street fight against any bodybuilder that ever existed in the world. You know what I mean? Like like Brian Shaw, one of these world's strongest man type guys. Like yeah. that's mm-hmm. the build that Colossus should have. I love that. Yeah. These mountain guys. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. the, the, the mountain from Game of Thrones. Like these guys who like, yeah, uh, we have this stone. It used to prop up a palace, but it's the only thing that's left for the palace. So we're going to have you guys lift it and walk a mile. How much does it weigh? We don't know. Like that type of motherfucker, yeah. motherfucker, they just impossibly strong. Like they weighed it one time and it weighed as much as a Volkswagen. You know what I mean? And, they, and these dudes are just lifting it because they think they can. Like, mm-hmm. like those dudes that used to come to your school and rip phone books apart and shit. Like, <laughs> these motherfuckers are strong for Christ. <laughs> you know? oh my God. That must be a Missouri thing. I never had that oh, happen. You never 
at those dudes? I mean, I know about the phenomenon, but yes. Yeah, they were these Jesus worshiping dudes, and they would come and show the show you the power of Christ by ripping phone books in half. And but they also happen to have like forty inch pythons. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Bulk up for Jesus, baby. Yeah. And you know what? We're trying to we're definitely trying to bulk up our uh reviews. So yeah. why don't you go ahead and send us one of those? Uh and our, our Patreon could use some creatine and whey powder as well. So yeah. go ahead and join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. Doing either one of those things really helps us out in the algorithm, though. Those reviews <laughs> really mean a lot. So they please, do. please, please hit that algorithm. Yeah, and also, uh, again, I'm giving you way ahead of time. Look out for my album, March 15th, On the Wings of a Dragon. Follow us on all our socials. We got at uh, NerdGoat Podcast for Twitter. You could also email us, and we will read that email on air to it. Email thegreatestpod at gmail.com. So thanks for listening. A reflective, navel-gazing episode of The Greatest Pod.